Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre. And today I'll be speaking with Martin Dimitrov. Martin is a journalist, is an author, is a political scientist, and he wrote a very important paper called The New Normal in the publication Us, Them, Hate Speech at the Service of Politics. Actually, we already had that publication focused here on the podcast. And Martin is going to talk to us about how are things in Bulgaria regarding hate speech and how to fight it. And after our conversation, I'll be back to tell you about some of the events organized by ELF for this month of July. with Martin Dimitrov. Martin, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to have you in here in such an important topic as this one. As I mentioned uh, in the intro, you wrote this very important uh, article regarding hate speech in Bulgaria, and we're going to go into that one pretty quickly. But before that, introduce yourself a little bit to our audience. What was the path you took to get to this point? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a journalist. Uh, I work for uh, several publications uh, for the past, uh, what's it, seven years now, after I graduated uh, political science in Glasgow in the UK. Uh, I'm originally from Ruse, which is a relatively small town uh, on the Danube River, uh, but with nice famous history. And I had a quite nice upbringing there in a very multicultural uh, environment. Uh, my grandparents' village is one such place. Obviously, you know, it always had these difficult moments with uh, Roma and Turkish people living alongside Bulgarians, uh, but it also taught me uh, how normal things are in a multicultural environment, mm-hmm. uh, which I, yeah, uh, which impacted me for life, I would say. And uh, yeah, I studied in Glasgow political science. I went abroad to Hong Kong uh, and then on the way back, uh, I got to do a couple of internships in Bulgaria. I never really planned to stay abroad. I'm not one of these people who, um, I mean, I was brought up to become like an immigrant. Uh, (laughs) My parents uh, always thought that, you know, like many parents from uh, my generation, thought that they are sending uh, their kids uh, with a one-way ticket to the West. Mm. But... uh, uh, for me, this was not really a question at the time, and I always wanted to be socially uh, active and embedded in a society, which I think can, uh, I believe, can 100% happen only if your heart is where you're staying. And my heart was uh, in the in Western Europe, at least at uh, that time. So yeah, I came back and I started working for the biggest Bulgarian newspaper, uh, economy newspaper. It's called Capital Weekly. A great school, very demanding, and uh, still keeping one of the highest, um, uh, if not the highest, uh, standards of uh, reporting in Bulgaria. Unfortunately, uh, it's also suffering from not not only capital, uh, but like the print press in Bulgaria in general is suffering a lot from the lack of um, basic advertisement uh, income. And uh, at one point, I decided that, you know, I don't want to just live on the salary. I want to do other things as well. I want to uh, both explore new opportunities and find new ways to get money. Because as a journalist in Bulgaria, you are actually desperate sometimes. And you're living uh, from paycheck to paycheck. And uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, this is how I became a freelancer three years ago, three years and a half. 
And I've done quite a lot of uh, funny and funky stuff, including both reports in Bulgarian villages on depopulation. I went to the military for one month, uh, living as a soldier to see how bad it is and uh, to write it. Um, I've done portraits of uh, interesting people, including Bulgarians and foreigners living in the countryside or in uh, smaller communities and how they contribute to uh, life there. So, yeah, uh, freelancing life has so far been quite quite nice and in the past year uh, i've been editing the political section of capital insights uh, which is the english language version of capital uh, weekly uh, basically trying to not only translate but actually not uh, simply interpret and translate but actually uh, show to foreigners the most important things from capital's articles and from capital's work thank you for that and uh, we were going into uh, not only you know, what you write, but how can people have access to it? And maybe I can have you again on the podcast soon so that we can talk about how to support independent media, something that is really, really... Oh, I wish I could tell you. <laughs> one, one last note, and, and this is a personal one before we go into our conversation, which is, it is interesting what you were saying about the expectations that people that leave their home country and go to abroad and i'm not going to say this in a bad way but more developed countries that there's this expectation that they will not come back i took my phd in america and then when i came back to portugal you can't imagine you can't imagine how many people ask me so you why did you got back why didn't you stay there like i should be here this is my home country <laughs> the change happens here yeah unfortunately for post-totalitarian countries like ours because we share this uh, relatively similar history of obviously different totalitarian regimes, but still regimes in which travel was not uh, something that um, could easily happen, that could easily be allowed and so on. Uh, for, I guess, for the previous generation, it's just uh, kind of uh, a one-way ticket. You either leave and you never come mm -hmm. back or uh, why, why, why do you leave otherwise? Like, you stay. <laughs> Well, you made the right choice and uh, I have you here on the podcast because we're going to go into your article, The New Normal. And this is in the publication from our uh, colleague Milos Odum from Project Polska, Hate Speech, Us Against Them. And you, let's start with your article right away. It's a fascinating uh, read and you described in great detail in the beginning of it. There were several tries to make a Bulgarian politician held responsible for odious words and declarations. And he, and I'm not going to say his name, I'll, I'll leave it up to you to make that choice. I don't want to promote his name or his path, but he was repeatedly, you know, mentioned by courts and in the media and by other politicians, but he repeatedly escaped what I would consider to be a proportional punishment for the words that he said. And then you go into the fact that with that, with that repetition, without uh, escaping uh, responsibility, things tend to get normalized. Go a little bit into that, please. Actually, uh, I think it's vice versa. <laughs> like what you what you're saying is uh, working precisely in the other direction. The guy, uh, his name is Valery Semyonov, and he's a very marginal politician now. I almost sure I'm almost sure that he won't get into parliament anymore. Uh, although they're trying to readjust the nationalist coalitions, uh, the guy is just uh, 
taking advantage of the fact that Bulgarian media environment is uh, polluted, uh, that Bulgarian public uh, discourse is uh, disgraceful per se, mm -hmm. like even before his statements. So his statement was just like a, a bit more, uh, how to call it, like a exotic way of uh, uh, saying it from a very high profile position from from parliament uh, like he has been saying he and people like him has been have been saying uh, like extremely awful things about the Roma and Turkish and so on for decades it's nothing mm -hmm. new like actually if there's something new is that there is a the, the, the fact that there is any debate about this language and uh, unfortunately this debate is confined to the liberal um, urban intelligentsia here and uh, barely touches upon the um, like the, the places where the, the impact of his words are the strongest which are usually rural areas villages or ghettos where uh, people are secluded like Roma people usually are secluded and uh, live uh, completely separate lives and only come into the public eye when it comes to some sort of a crime when it comes to um, yeah, like uh, something bad happening, basically. So, yeah, uh, to put it shortly, I don't think that uh, he uh, normalized the speech. Uh, it's more like he uh, said what he said about the Roma wom woman being uh, uh, like uh, having instincts of uh, animals and so on. He said mm -hmm. it uh, because it's completely fine nowadays in the past uh, 30 years to, to say these sort of things. So, uh, using an expression that it's commonly used now, he's just a symptom of a bigger malaise that you described happening in Bulgaria. But still, and probably I didn't make the question clear enough, but still, do you think that this kind of taking advantage of a system, it is open to everyone or there are particularly bad actors that take part that take advantage of the things as they are well uh if we st talk strictly about the legal definition of hate speech uh which is basically attacking and inciting hate uh, against somebody based on their sexuality their uh, ethnic origin religion and so on definitely there are worse people than uh, mm -hmm. others like valeri Semyonov and his uh, co uh, leader of the another uh, other small uh, nationalistic party, Vemedeo, Krasimir uh, Kayakachanov, they are definitely worse than, let's say, Boyko Borisov, who has mm -hmm. uh, tons of, like millions of <laughs> transgressions and uh, public lies and so on, but he never ever spoke badly, like in a super diminutive way against the Roma, let's say. Like he has a lot of, uh, he's the prime. He was the prime minister for practically twelve years, almost without um, uh, disconnect. Um, so yeah, basically for twelve years, the, this person who was prime minister was better than the rest uh, in terms of speaking. Uh, but uh, at the same time, like it is uh, the parliament dominated by his party, uh, the institutions dominated by his cadres that allowed this speech to flow freely. And he was in coalition with the same people. Like, they're not officially uh, one party, but they're coalition and they're like, you know, for six years, they've been doing everything together. 
and uh, like if he really wanted to, I guess he could have not uh, uh, pushed his uh, party to uh, vote for Valery Semyonov, uh, who we spoke earlier, to become uh, a speech, uh, sorry, a spokesperson of parliament, which is you know a very high position in a parliamentary republic. After uh, the guy was convicted of uh, hate speech, <laughs> you just mentioned partly of what he said. Uh, again, I'm not going to repeat it. But again, it was so bad that actually that sentence that you started to get into, but you didn't complete it. It's the cover of the publication because yeah, it is. I was, bit, I was a bit shocked actually when he decided to do it. But oh well, I guess artistic choices. <laughs> well, but it, but it does make the case of what you were just mentioning and 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 the kind of attacks. And then if they get normalized, people like you in the field trying to fight against this normalization. But uh, let's get back to something that you were saying, and that, it, and that is the degradation of Bulgarian media, politics and institutions. And language, I would add to that list. And language also. That's a fascinating point. So tell us what are you doing and other people like you doing to try to make this uh, change? Oof, I'm, not, I'm not sure if uh, I'm really one to the, like, the kind of person who would be described as a... Uh, change maker or attempting to change something. What I'm trying to do is actually, in many circles, might might be considered conservative. I'm trying to conserve uh, some sort of a normal, civilized discourse, uh, which is not based on uh, spiteful comments against opponents and about uh, uh, tarnishing them with uh, the worst words that you can think of and so on, but it's rather based on uh, facts. And as a journalist, this has always been my credo and something that I've been trying to stick to. So I don't think that uh, like I am precisely the type of uh, fighter that you might imagine or hope for. <laughs> uh, at the same time, what a lot of organizations uh, and NGOs and uh, like uh, activists, single activists have been doing, uh, is wide-ranging and there are many people who are trying to uh, either put pressure on institutions to do their work practically, which is basically what we need to have. Uh, it's not that we don't have law against hate speech, it's just that it's not applied. It's not that we have... Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, that we don't have uh, like uh, rules uh, how to do how to deal with uh, politicians who speak uh, in this sort of way. It's just that people just re-elect them. L let's put it in a comparative perspective. In 2006, in the presidential elections, the bi biggest contender uh, to the incumbent ca incumbent candidate uh, at the time from the Socialist Party was uh, practically the, a neo-fascist guy called uh, Volin Sidorov. He was also in. Uh, coalition with uh, Budisov until recently. Volin uh, Sidorov, his only sole point was uh, anti-Roma, anti-globalization, like uh, bashing uh, how he'll go to the villages and uh, deal with the gypsies that are uh, pestering the poor village people and so on. And this guy got 30%. It's not like a lot, but it was quite a lot at the same time. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it's a presidential election, so it's two people. You know, like he went to the uh, second round, and there are two people, and probably that's why he got even that that much uh, vote. But at the same time, you know, um, anti-Roma discourse was the central discourse at the election. Nowadays, this, this is not the case. 
Uh, this is not something that happens. And one of the reasons for that is uh, because of civic activists who have nothing to do with hate speech or who have nothing to do with, uh, um, you know, this sort of uh, trying to uh, change the discourse uh, towards a certain direction, but because they're dealing with the big problems that Bulgarians have and the Bulgarians, regardless of their ethnic or religious uh, belonging. Uh, and those problems are linked to corruption, those problems are linked to misuse of European funds, the way that the country has been misgoverned for over, uh, at least over 15 years, and so on and so forth. So basically, I would say, you know, uh, the, the, the hateful language is a product of a system that fell apart. And now we're getting, we're trying to get out of this foul language by just changing the discourse and by people changing the discourse towards the direction of the real problems that Bulgaria faces. But on the other hand, um, and I was particularly interested in this one because this is something that we see on many countries, which is the laws are there, the laws exist, it's just the enforcement of the law. And this can go from, you know, the law from law officers from judges so what what you're proposing is and 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 it sounds you know uh idyllic but it is true it's to elect good politicians that they will say we will solve the problems and one of the problems that we're going to solve is hate speech laws in bulgaria are actually strong but they're not being enforced so let's change that did i get that right uh more like um can we, uh, w once we are in power, can we make the magistrates uh, who are supposed to um, serve justice on this and various, all, all sorts of uh, injustice cases, can we pressure uh, or like change uh, the way that uh, the magistrature is managed so that first to do, to do their job? Hmm. Because this is, this, is, uh, this is one of the biggest problems. We. Uh, like, you know, on the, as I said, on the executive level, uh, laws are changing, they're adapting to, uh, they're adapting to European standards and uh, so on. At the same time, when it comes to application, uh, the prosecution in Bulgaria is in a dire state. Uh, it's the most, uh, probably one of the most, not probably, it is the most untrusted public institution in Bulgaria. I think five or six percent of people trust the prosecution uh, now and maybe uh, down from 10% a couple of years ago. Uh, if there, there is no proper prosecution of uh, hate speech as well as other crime, types of crimes, how do you like serve justice? Like you, you would be surprised on so many occasions on big and small cases, the Bulgarian uh, court is returning the um, indictments to the prosecution saying, you just haven't done your work. <laughs> you, like you're trying to prove something, but you not collect. You haven't collected the evidence for that. And it's uh, to be absolutely fair. It's not only about prosecution. It's about the police as well. The la the first uh, training for um, not the first. Sorry, the most recent training I saw about um, uh, the police officers getting to uh, collect information about hate crime. Uh, happened like a couple of uh, years, like I think last year or something like that. For years, the police were supposed to enact uh, the um, uh, to, to, to collect information uh, about uh, prosecuting people who have uh, uh, committed hate crime or hate speech, but they didn't have the training to actually do it. And even if they do, you know, uh, 
like it's not only about having like uh, strict uh, rule guidebooks guidebooks or something like that it's about uh, knowing how to use them and wanting to use them so yeah it's a, it's a multi i mean uh, i'm sorry it might be a bit complicated but it's just that it's such a multi-layered um, problem um, that it's very hard to pinpoint who exactly is to blame and it's definitely not only the politicians and politicians give a certain tone but at the same time there's so much work to be done both uh, top down and ground up that uh, uh, until we become a become a, become a nation that can kind of um, see this as an important issue see this as a, something that's uh, worth fighting for and worth uh, defending uh, as, as part of our core liberties that is a great point and let's stay there because and this is an unfair question to ask you because I don't know if you have the data about this, but could this be part of a political platform? Are people like you, and I don't know, a majority of people in Bulgaria starting to also complain that this kind of discourse, this kind of political debate or societal debate, this has to change. This is getting too way out of control. Or do you feel that there's not that kind of momentum for that kind of change. And it'll have to be someone in a political position saying, all right, let's enforce the laws. Let's change, you know, the rules of debate. Do you see this as something that will gain, you know, a, a groundswell of uh, support for a change in Bulgaria soon? Uh, there is definitely a um, growing uh, feeling that the way that uh, the previous uh, two three governments uh, and all of them led by Borisov have degraded Bulgarian institutions and this has caused uh, great, great injustices to various parts of society uh, not uh, on an ethnic or uh, religious or any other basis but like on a, like it's wide ranging like people older people and uh, retirees feel as if uh, uh, they are not getting enough social support. Uh, mm -hmm. Mothers with uh, children with disabilities were protesting, and so on and so forth. So there is definitely a feeling that something needs to change, and that uh, we need uh, uh, we need we need change. The problem, unfortunately, is uh, the fact. Uh, what are the uh, what is on the political market right now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, because uh, they are. Some like some of the bigger so-called protest parties that uh, are standing up against Borisov in recent year are extremely populist. They are quite uh, uh, saying what the people want to see, to hear about retribution, retri retribution against Borisov and Gerp and so on, and at the same time not really providing any insight of what their actual platform is. If they're go they're gonna if their plan is to actually change things for the better, the way that the country is governed for the better, or if they'll just uh, change the faces and keep on doing the same things. Uh, there is such a people, the Imotikov uh, Nadot, this is the uh, biggest uh, party right now, of an uh, ex-showman called, called Slavi Trifonov, like kind of like a Zelensky figure in Bulgaria. Um, this guy 
is uh, has always uh, mocked uh, the Roma as well, like in his TV show, and he has mocked gay people, and he has been uh, an asshole to uh, a lot of people in his show, and he's the contender to be the next big thing, uh, unfortunately. So sh- should I be optimistic that just because Bruce is going down and the system that he built is uh, he's taking it with him, or uh, should I be worried about uh, who is the next one to come? Unfortunately, I'm, I'm more on the wor- worried side. Uh, obviously, there are good examples as well. The Liberal Party in Bulgaria, uh, centrist liberal, I would call it, uh, called Democratic Bulgaria. Um, it's a coalition of three parties, and they're trying to kind of keep a civilized discourse and to continue focusing on anti-corruption and so on. But it's just not sexy enough for many people. It's much, much easier to uh, talk about uh, mm-hmm. retribution and uh, like, uh, like getting the bad people to prison and then everything will be fine rather than giving these uh, complicated solutions of uh, everybody having their freedom and, uh, you know, protecting each other's freedoms is the most important thing. Well, there's a lot of work to, to be done. I understand that. And you are being modest and it is also um, part of it. And I understand that. But you are one of the people in the field doing work and, and trying to change mentalities on this. And as we get into the end of our conversation, I'm going to ask you exactly to do that. And that is tell our listeners where they can follow your work because you do publish also in English. So tell us a little bit of what you're what you're cooking and how can people have access to it? Uh, I'll uh, just point out one website, uh, the Capital Insights English language website, and uh, you'll see a Twitter link to our feed uh, and to our website uh, from there, uh, where you can follow the most uh, impre- like important and uh, newsworthy pieces and analysis uh, about Bulgaria. Put up one article per day, and I think two articles or three articles per month are for free if you register. So if you're picky and careful, you can get all the important bits uh, about Bulgaria in just a couple of clicks per month. <laughs> yeah, but support uh, support Capital Insight and support media. It's very important that we do that. And are you uh, on digital platforms? You have a Twitter account, yes. a Facebook account? Uh, no, not, not me personally. Uh, I just use the uh, Capital Insights uh, uh, account for uh, you know uh, tweets and for other like for, for tweet, retweeting uh, the articles and so on. I'm not really trying to. I'm trying to not stay on social media for too long because it will get me too crazy. <laughs> <laughs> There's life, a lot of life, life per se is crazy enough uh, by itself. So yeah. <laughs> so oh yes, yeah. so, uh, and also again as a teaser because I'm going to ask you to come back to the podcast. There, we will split this conversation in other uh, for other moments, but you do mention brusque and brutal language in Bulgaria. And there could be an interesting conversation between you and me on the difference between what is called offensive speech and hateful speech and harmful speech. But you are correct in saying that spending less time in Twitter of being mad about this kind of brusque and brutal speech, because that is a brutal arena that we have that is also in a way poisoning this kind of debate. But listen, Martin, this was great. I'm very happy to have you on the podcast and have you explaining what is going on on your home country and again, what you're doing to at least try to change, um, try to make a little bit of a change. But I'm hopeful that people like you can, you know, have that 
groundswell of other people saying we don't like this this is not the way to go this is not a way to do politics or even to live in in a healthy environment and a healthy society so i'm going to thank you so much for coming to the podcast and i hope to have you back soon thank you for having me ricardo and uh, yeah um i wish you Uh, very good writings with the podcast it was a pleasure for me and uh, let's try to keep up a decent uh, level of conversation wherever we have these conversations <laughs> online or offline good I deal that's right. part of the one of the most important parts of the liberal mission to be continued then thank you martin all the best I'm back just to remind you that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. Enough for some of the events organized by ELF for this month of July. On the 23rd of July, based in Croatia in Zadar, we have Regional Policy Network 2.0. This network identifies and connects professionals in the policy cycle in order to comprehensively capacitate them in policy development, lobbying and communication, while also expanding a platform for discussion and exchange of ideas and salient issues in Europe today. To know more about this event, you have to go to www.liberalforum.eu forward slash events. And this is all for now, but I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. The Liberal Europe Podcast. It's organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament. And the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any news that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily...